The contents of this show are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Any information on the show does not create a client-therapist relationship and should not be taken as professional advice. Before making any decisions regarding your health care, ask your personal physician or mental health care professional or call 911 for any emergencies. We are three friends exploring connection from the coffee shop to the podcast studio. I'm Amy. I'm Anna. I'm Erin. So today we have Ariel Britt of Beauty and the Grit. She is amazing. She's a good friend of ours. She is a macro level social worker, a speaker, and she develops community programs for youth and young adults. She's a double alum from Michigan, and she has an award-winning podcast called Beauty and the Grit, and it is so, so good. We had to ask her to come on. We're so glad you're here, Ariel. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for being on today. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was thinking, could we just start off a little bit with getting to know you or letting our audience get to know you a little bit more, like the old backstory and maybe how your <laughs> award-winning podcast came about? Absolutely. Unless, before we get into that, did you want to talk about why we're so happy to have Ariel on for connection. That's really a good point to bring up. (laughs) Okay. So So we wanted to have you on, Ariel. We always like to tie it in, like, why are we having our guest on and why is this make sense for the podcast about connection? So your story is so compelling in what you are doing with the podcast, Beauty and the Grit, because you're reminding people that there is beauty in the messes and that we don't need to have shame around it and we can own it. And through the stories that you're telling and sharing and, you know, creating a platform for people to share their stories, like you're helping other people, especially in recovery, know that they're not alone. And that is so huge that you found a way to find beauty in this, the messy sides. And so that's why I was like, we absolutely have to have Ariel Britt on. She's a phenomenal podcaster and speaker and community builder and all the great things. And so that's how and why it makes sense for (laughs) Ariel to be on. Yeah. And I would say too, just for like hearing your story is it allows me, I guess, or other people to really, I've thought about like my own shadow sides and my own messiness and my own grit in life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like being able to look at that and connect with that is only grounds for growth and healing, I guess. But yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. So, yeah. So without further ado, <laughs> Ariel. We like to ask like 18 <laughs> questions at once and then yeah, have, a, yeah. have you pick. I'm okay. So, so where'd you grow up? Let's just start with the basics. I grew up in Michigan. Go blue. Uh, <laughs> I had to say that. Yeah. So I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. I was born in Grand Rapids. I'm the youngest of four girls. I'm the youngest of five. Yeah. Wait, girls. All all girls. All girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know what it's like. Mm -hmm. Definitely more on the tomboy side, single parent home. And yeah, that's that's the start of it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. And then you got to Denver recently, right? Well, yeah, it's that actually was too much been of a jump. Too big of a Hold jump. On, Hold on. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> they hated that. No. They hated it. 
Okay, well, go ahead. Okay, so. I think go. there's a lot more to be said. Oh, there is. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, so were you in Lansing like all your, did you move a lot as a kid? Or did you stay in one place? What was it like? So I moved a lot within the Lansing area. Well, it felt like a lot because my mom, you know, did the best that she could after we moved to Lansing for her to go get her PhD. And so I was there until I was 18. And then it was like, you're going to college. I didn't actually want to go to college. Mm -hmm. At that point in my life, I had started partying a lot and I wanted to go. I wanted to go to college, but not the hard one. (laughs) Yeah. No offense. But I wanted to go to Michigan State. The local local college. (laughs) But my mom was like, no, you're going to Michigan. Like, that's what we do. The University of Michigan. <laughs> Is that yeah. where she got her PhD too? So she went to state, oh. unfortunately, for her PhD. <laughs> no, it was good. She went to undergrad in Michigan at Michigan, and that's where she met my dad too. And my grandpa went there. Oh, wow. One of my sisters went there. And that was so gonna be my question. Family, yeah. Did the four or did the three older sisters also go? No. So one of them went to state and another one who's probably the most successful, in my opinion, just she didn't need college. Oh. <laughs> so she like, she's just brilliant. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now I know why I skipped over that huge chunk. Oh, because okay. it, Do tell. Because, do tell, Anna. <laughs> because it's in your first episode. Yeah. I was like, I already oh. know it. Oh. No one else does. I know. Yeah. Okay. We listen to it, but we got uh, yeah. to catch I know, I know. Sorry. And then direct them to the episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good, okay. good call on that. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> Go ahead, Amy. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So college days, you started partying when you were in high school-ish. Yes. And then... Mom kind of pushed you out the door to college. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. And what did you continue to party in college? Absolutely. That was my main objective. <laughs> <laughs> you got the an A plus in that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> the tricky thing is, is that when you go to such a prestigious school, it's like you can't keep up. Like for me, I know there's some people that, you know, maybe are able to party and keep the school focused. It's probably when I should have known that I really had a problem because I just was not interested in performing at that level. I just mm-hmm. didn't want to do it. So yeah, I definitely got an A in partying and <laughs> partied my way right out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Graduated from partying and not college. (laughs) And where did you go then? I went, where did I go first? I think I stayed in Michigan for a little while. Then I moved to New York City. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, this, this seems right. Jay-Z and Alicia Keys had come out with a popular song back then called (laughs) New York State of Mind. (laughs) So that's when I knew that New York was for me. I moved to New York (laughs) a month later. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jay-Z. It was a sign. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Always got to pay attention to the signs. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was it was a good time until that wasn't either, right? Because yeah. yeah. wherever you go, there you are. It's mm-hmm. truly my belief. And so, yeah. Can you yeah, say more tough. about that? So I thought that by moving out of the state of Michigan, because that was my problem, in my mm-hmm. opinion, like I wanted mm-hmm. to be free, you know, big fish, little pond, <laughs> to go to the big city. <laughs> and then I followed myself, you know, all those same things, those same insecurities, those same problems, my same addictions. I attracted the same people, but now it was even more worse because mm-hmm. I'm in this big place and no one cares. There's no mm-hmm. accountability for my behavior or, you know, what I'm doing. I'm an adult now, you know, I was like, 
in my early 20s. And so I was responsible for my decisions in my life in a way. And that was even more scary, mm-hmm. you know, and then talking to my mom when I wanted to or my sisters when I wanted to, which was never <laughs> because like, you know, I wanted to party. I wanted to like have fun and live this life. Like I thought it was really that, that was my goal was to always have this party. And was was your mom working. scared for you when you went in? Like, was she did she knew shit was gonna break in you. no oh, okay. like that's the funny thing about it like talking to my mom like even in high school or was it early in my college career she's like why can't you just be a chemist if you like drugs so much she was like, like, like breaking bad school you know <laughs> you like drugs so much she she just <laughs> knew how smart i was yeah. right so she just didn't understand <laughs> i don't think she, i never like showed her the true scope of what was going yeah. on too like Definitely had my share of consequences, but I've always been smart in her mind. So she just she just didn't realize. So when I told her that I was getting sober, she was like, "Okay," like it was just a very peculiar thing for her because she didn't know that's what I needed to do. But ever Mm. since then, she's just like, I'm just so, so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Mm -hmm. I bet. Mm -hmm. Did your sister were your sisters tuned into it at all? I think, yeah, more than others. I have a really, really close relationship with my oldest sister, too. But still, yet again, I don't think people... I was so high-functioning in their minds Mm -hmm. that they didn't know necessarily the severity of it. And they Mm -hmm. probably just assumed I'd grow out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like those air quotes around high-functioning. Yeah, (laughs) because what is that? I appeared, you know, appeared okay. So if everything in your life, like looked okay if you're like high functioning how did you like if you're okay with sharing like what helped you get realize that things were no longer working so well as much as I was high functioning the things that I was doing to get money like they're illegal you know (laughs) that's a huge sign my body my body was shutting down the people that I was hanging out with were just not some people that I would ever hang out with in my life. I didn't. And then at the end of the day, I think the more I was consuming substances, the more like it wasn't working at that point. And that was heartbreaking to me because Mm -hmm. then what was I going to do? You Mm -hmm. know, it didn't matter what I put in my body. I couldn't forget the party was just like sincerely over, but I just Mm -hmm. kept going. And I think for me, even regardless of that, like I could have, you know, pretended or or made it work for a little while. But I think my body physically shutting down was really hard Mm -hmm. for me to ignore. What did that look like? I had lost a lot of weight and like I looked good, you know. I know because I was I'm really tall so like people like are you a model I'm like no you know because I was that skinny (laughs) at that point but I'm I'm an athlete you know that's not how I normally appear if you can imagine me now is like 50 pounds lighter than Mm. I am now and then let me think what else was going on like so you were drinking and not eating I wasn't eating. Yeah, there's a lot of things going in my nose. Yeah. <laughs> and my kidneys, I remember just being doubled over in grocery stores or in spaces because my I thought I was just like, oh, no, I'm sick. <laughs> but I think my kidneys were shutting down. Oh, That's probably what it yeah. was. But Whoa. I did have the pain. Yeah, I just had no idea. And it was it was devastating. It was devastating. And then when you like wake up and you can't, you know, go to a function or show up without having some powdery substance in your pocket, like mm-hmm. that's problematic. Yeah. 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 It was just a lot. So did you have that like that bottom or did you what was it that was the 
turnaround. Yeah, like was it like or, one yeah. big thing or yeah. a lot of little yeah. things or so yeah, I think when I started turning into the crying girl at the bar, I was like, This is <laughs> the beginning there. of the end. <laughs> so and I, mm-hmm. oh, and yes. I have never that was never me. I'm like, let's go. Let's and to be that person was really hard. And then I think just the moment like Michigan had lost and it's a football game and I'm a huge football person. And the way that I reacted to that and was buying shots for everyone and then just feeling so lonely. Mm. Finally, I was just so lonely in a way as somebody that tends to be more extroverted and loves connection and loves people. You know, (laughs) I was so alone that day. And I just remember finally making my way home that night and just looking in the mirror and being, being like, you're done. And I think for up until probably you know, the couple months ahead of that, I had talked to friends or people that I know had gotten sober and they're like, yeah, like, you know, this is just your journey, you know, but I hadn't really made that commitment. But once I really stopped that day, I just was done. It just really happened. Wow. Yeah. It was very, that's not me. Yeah. I truly, <laughs> that wasn't me. It yeah. just really was like, okay, we have enough research accrued that this yeah. is not, not going to work for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Hey, Anna. Yeah? You know Aaron's a pretty badass therapist, uh, right? I totally know. I just, like, take notes when she's talking. <laughs> Me too. Some of our audience does as well. Uh-huh. So did you know that there's also a place that you can get information directly from her? On her website, right? Yeah. And didn't you do it? Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah, so there's all these free workshops that they're offering. And at thekaliinstitute.com, you can sign up for those. K-A-L-I is how you spell Kali, and then institute, thekaliinstitute.com. Get it done. So if it wasn't you, what was it? Something that really likes me, something bigger than myself. I've always had a connection to faith in some regard. Like I was raised in the church, but enough things had happened in my childhood or in my life where I was like, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do this thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that the more I look back or look on my life to be able to think about how the experiences that I've gone through have helped people or or those moments where like you can't just make that up right. that yeah, I right. I know that there's something bigger than me that kept me alive all those nights I'm like blackout drunk coming home from the train and that was that was also a really scary moment too when my friend called me the next day and was like you called me blackout like crying and I was like what mm-hmm. I had no recollection that really scared me because mm-hmm. I didn't even know how I got home mm-hmm. you know and that wasn't normal for me in, in that regard in New York City I didn't want to ever be that yeah. be that person right. you know and it was heartbreaking right. when I was seeing that myself right yeah good do you have any specific memories of of that you can't make that shit up in terms of any sort of spirit like divine things that inter- intervened or like when I was actively well, in my substance like you can't make that up. what are you talking about you can't make that up like in terms of shit in that both and both. both both like before sobriety and uh-huh. after sobriety oh, yeah. I probably have countless so I guess early on in my sobriety too I started going to recovery meetings and connecting with a recovering community. And I was like 23 days sober. And I was like, I'm done. Like, I've done it. (laughs) I'm not not going to make it. And this was a good cleanse. It was. And it was something it was because it was just really hard for me. In my mind, I'm so alone and I'm so different. And 
a lot of people who look like me. Also, guys, I am black, by the way. (laughs) I think that's important. A lot of people in recovery don't look like me, right? And so I felt really alone and really isolated in that identity. And Mm -hmm. so I would go to these meetings. And I remember one of my friends dragged me to somewhere else in in an area of New York City, the Lower East Side, where I used a lot. And it was so scary for me to be there. And so the next day, that evening, I just was staying up because the craving Mm -hmm. to go back was so strong. And I remember getting up in the morning. I think I stayed up all night and somebody in recovery called me and was like, hey, how's it going? And just asked me how I'm doing. And I was like, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) And they're like, just try. Just, Just do your best. Like, get to a meeting right now. And somebody that I had met in the meeting the night before when I got on the train and Mm. you know how big New York City is. She just happened to be in the same train car with me. Mm. And so we're talking and I'm like, I really still don't think like I'm going to make it. And she's like, just, just keep going. And when I got off the train, somebody that I knew from the meeting that I was going to was there to walk me. Like you were handed off. Yeah. So it just was like a hand holding thing. And I'll never forget that. And like, I got chills. I know. Right. It just kind of showed me that like, yeah, pain is going to happen. But like, where, like, do you see this? Like, I didn't say like, for me, I think, you know, the universe or whatever, I didn't say it was going to be easy. Like, you're not going to not feel again, which Mm. would be nice. (laughs) But you get to, you get to be a part of this connection. That's, like always been there so that was a huge moment for me early on just Mm. to keep going what was it like going to a meeting like is that something did you know anyone who was in recovery like from your family or what was it like so I have friends from high school I think three of us at least are are on the starting basketball team. We're all sober. Three of the starters are sober. Oh, your high school basketball team? (laughs) Yeah, which is really interesting. And so one of them had reached out to me and we had like started connecting again in a way. And she was the first person my... My last night of, no, my sobriety day is actually her birthday, which is really funny. And so we connected again. And so I knew her. But other than that, I had no idea what I was walking into. Mm -hmm. And so that first time I walked into a meeting, it was just, I just started crying. And it felt like the gig is up, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like these people see you. And that was scary because I'd done a really good job of guarding myself and And then like now I'm like this crying person a different way than the crying person at the bar, (laughs) which was like, I don't I don't like I don't like you to see me as we, you know, which I wasn't. So it was just so powerful to be in that space. And, you know, the first woman's story that I heard was at that meeting. And she was also a woman of color, too, Mm -hmm. which was like God, like kind of knew Mm -hmm. that I needed that. Mm -hmm. The universe knew I needed that. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty powerful. So then did you end up staying in New York or did you mm-hmm. leave or? I stayed in New York for a year for okay. the first year of my sobriety just to really get my footing. And I was nannying while I was there. I was a cater waiter to begin with early on. And I switched to nannying, which is something that I, I love children. So that was fun. And then it was like, so what are you going to do? And the people, another God moment, the people I was nannying for, they're like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm watching your kid. Like, no, what are you doing with your life? Like, have you thought about going back to school? And people that I knew were like, have you thought about going back to school? I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to. And had you, how many years of undergrad had you finished by this point? Yeah, I had like a senior year left. Okay. Two semesters left until I graduated. Oh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, (laughs) I just kind of couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like walked in graduation and had like two semesters to finish. And I was like, I, 
I can't do this. Wow. Yeah. So I was pretty close. I'm like, yeah, go back to school. And so I just looked into it and yeah. then everything just fell into place. And then on my last day with that family, they gave me two grand to go back to school. Oh, They're wow. like, we want you to succeed. So oh just stuff gosh. like that. That's and it was like incredible. the perfect amount. I was like worried about money, worried yeah. about all these things. And they just gave me two grand in cash. You wow. know, though, I have to say about, about how I know you mm-hmm. is that... I mean, in that story that you've just been telling, you can see where connection and you are naturally a connector, Mm -hmm. I feel like. And I just think that like the story that you told or your story is such a great example of how when you kind of reach out or when you have made these connections with people from your past or whatever that is, like just you never know when it's going to show up again mm-hmm. or how it's going to show up. Like boomerangs back to you. Yeah. So but it's so, it's, it, I just think it's so beautiful. I can only imagine, you know, like, you know, being an employer and knowing you and, you know, uh, your intelligence and, you know, seeing your potential. And then, but how cool that, like, it's your last day on the job. And rather than someone being like, oh, wish you well, they're <laughs> like paying you. It, and it, it yeah. but I think that also says a lot to how you're able to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been unreal. I have plenty yeah. of those moments. I don't yeah. know. So then you go back to school mm-hmm. and then what? I go back to school, I finish, and that was really the grind of growing up because mm. having to move back home, especially in an environment where I partied and mm-hmm. did a lot of things and didn't really like who I was, and then having to go back to school sober was mm. so unique. And then that was kind of, you know, from two to how long was I there for? Two to four years, a little over four years. I was really just growing up, learning how to take care of myself, having fun with my other young friends in recovery that I met. And then I did that. And then I went and got my graduate degree. By the way, that's awesome. No, I had a year off. So like I just a year off in between that to kind of figure it out. I was working at a local treatment center as a house manager. So that was kind of influencing this decision to Mm -hmm. work with young people, Mm -hmm. to work more in like macro level and systems and try to like support people. I was like, oh, there's so much missing here. Like, Mm -hmm. how can I help? I was really on fire Mm -hmm. to be able to create spaces for young people to thrive. Mm hmm. So did you, what was your master's degree in? Social work. Okay. Yes. And so then were you, when you talk about like making systematic changes on a macro level, like are you, um, the housing is obviously Mm -hmm. where it sounds like, is that where you were kind of like uh, front lines in the housing or what, what has that been like? Yeah. So that was my first experience. There's a really big local treatment center back home in Ann Arbor where they're doing the best that they could to provide resources to folks that were affordable and all of that. But there was just some serious gaps to me in terms of one, having fun. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how do we get young people or anyone to kind of figure out who they are and enjoy that and have a good time? And then my own experience at the University of Michigan was being a part of the collegiate recovery program, which they have. They have like three here in Colorado alone at universities where they support students and recovery from disordered eating, substance use and all that, where it helps build community in an absent hostile environment, which I feel like the world is an absent hostile <laughs> environment, <laughs> honestly. Right, right, right. So it was just an opportunity to like, you know, for me, my disease doesn't stop. I'm not like sober now and free, but I need, you know, spaces where I 
I can be more than just that person, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm around mm-hmm. other people. So it's it just like the felt, ultimate connection, right? It's or ultimate like connection. It, sounds it is like, more visibility, too. Yeah. So, like, I definitely didn't want to feel ashamed of me being a person in recovery. And I think there's just a huge place of stigma for for me, you mm-hmm. know? And so outside of me being a woman, a black woman and all these things, it's like the, another one, you know, like, <laughs> I don't, don't want to do this, another you know? One. So like, what can I <laughs> what do? What else you got? Exactly. So, you know, I felt like this was something that, you know, I really wanted to be a part of, especially because I am all of those things. Like this, I didn't, I didn't ask for this. This isn't part of my thing that I didn't want my brain to necessarily work like this, but I'm not going to be ashamed of it. Just like I'm not ashamed that I'm black. And what was all the process of you coming around working through the shame? So I saw this trailer. I don't know if y'all have seen it. It's called The Anonymous People. Hmm. It's a really yeah. cool documentary. And one of my friends in New York had done the music for it. And it's just this awesome trailer. <laughs> and I've seen the movie too. And after watching it, I was so empowered. I am naturally like a social justice vigilante type person. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw this, I was like, let's go like I just wanted I'm just just something that struck my spirit and was like this is part of your work this is part of your purpose to be visible to help inspire and to help create change and for me I don't necessarily I find myself beating my head against the wall if I'm like going and trying to fight the system for me the reason why I wanted to do social work and macro level is like so what can I create to help Mm. folks outside of the system because the system is flawed it's designed to not support in the ways that it needs to so am I going to just sit there no like so for me it's like being a part of the work to create and inspire people is what I want to do and so what have you done where has that taken you so far taking me to some cool places. <laughs> Let's see. So it's so in, in grad school, I spoke at the White House, which Whoa. is really massive. Yeah. Boss? Wait, who was like, who did you meet at the White House? I didn't meet anyone cool, unfortunately, but oh. I did get a signed proclamation from Barack Obama. What? So that was pretty cool. That's super cool. Uh, so, yeah. It Wait, was, you got to say like, what, how did that happen? How did that happen? So I got a phone call. (laughs) No, I... So there is a woman who started the collegiate recovery program at the University of Michigan who reached out to my mentor who runs the collegiate recovery program at Michigan now. She was a student at the time. And she just hit him up and was like, hey, like, I think Ariel would be a good... No, she hit oh. <laughs> me up because they were trying to do there's so September is oh. recovery month. Oh, okay. And so the Office of National Drug Control Policy was really trying to do some things to really enhance that idea. So proclamation for it and all of that. And so they wanted a panel for a group of young people. So I was like one of three people That's that year so to do cool. it. Yeah. It was that oh, was like a moment that happening. like you you don't see every day for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was pretty that's massive. Amazing. So that that's where it afforded me. I think that's really, you know, being able to talk about my experience is helpful. And then, you know, I worked in Georgia at a university, helped develop programming there for young people. And then I still do work nationally to help was colleges. It, is it still under that umbrella of the collegiate? Yeah, I had never heard of Collegiate recovery before. programs. Yeah, yeah they're... They're coming up. It's something that more universities are seeing as a way to combat this idea, like, you know, this drinking using culture, which is just the loudest narrative. Like majority of college students aren't partying, but like that's just the loudest narrative. And so in order to, you know, enhance their 
the truth Mm -hmm. (laughs) or their image in in terms of sexual assault or um, all these other things. A lot of folks are really in retention, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. graduation rates. It's just Mm -hmm. it makes sense to have a space where young people, you know, can come or even older, you know, non-traditional. I was a non-traditional student when I went back to school. And so just a space for them to feel safe and heard and so, yeah, do a lot of that work. And I help colleges and probably nationally support to support with that. other people in the same. No, absolutely. I which mean, is community yeah. is life. Connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Yes. Everything. So yeah. Georgia, where in Georgia were you? I was in Kennesaw. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I really don't know where that is. It's Metro Atlanta. Okay. okay. I'll say okay. that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. And then when did you arrive in Denver? Two years ago. Hey. It's been awesome. So was it Georgia, then Denver? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So Georgia to Denver? Yes. Or should I say Metro Atlanta <laughs> to Denver? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And what brought you to Denver? We're my glad job, you're here. My you're job here. now. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy story. That's one of the one of the beauty and the grit stories. Yes. yes. Episode three. It's, a crazy, it's, it's it's not. It's good. It's a good story. <laughs> yeah. So I came here. I met my current the current current person who owns or, or how do I say it? yeah executive director. Mm-hmm deputy director or something. I don't Mm -hmm. know what to call them. But he was at a conference that I was speaking at for young people. And he heard me speak and was like, let's stay in touch. And I wanted to get out of Georgia. That was not the place where I felt emotionally safe at all for for from like pretty much the time that I really like got there. It was great to work with my students. My colleagues were amazing. But really early on, I experienced a sexual assault. So that rocked me and it was somebody at the university. So I had been wanting to move there since two months in. That happened two months in. So, you know, the work is great. You know, the the university didn't find him responsible, which was really frustrating for me and just scary more than anything. I was just scared to kind of go to work for a Mm -hmm. while. And so then I was like, please, you know, something has to happen. And I was taking a group of students to Colorado for a leadership summit. And a colleague of mine called and was like, hey, do you want to speak at the summit? Like the day we were about to leave. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Sure. And then that was the same day that I found out this man wasn't going to be responsible. So I flew out spoke the next day. He heard me speak. I'm like in an emotional blackout, like, okay, like, here's my card, you know? And then he hit me up maybe a couple months later and was like, hey, I want you to apply for this job. And then two months after that, I was moving out here. Oh, yeah. So a couple of blessings, I would say, in that one, right? Yeah. 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 And did you, with the sexual assault, did that like go through a trial or did you like was it it went through an investigation you heard of title Mm nine at university so it went through that process and there just wasn't enough evidence Mm -hmm. other than my experience and my truth about it for it to kind of for -hmm. there to be any sanctions yes so that's just the system you know so so it was tough it was it was tough yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. I bet. But yet again, you know, when I was going through something in my life and I thought that I wouldn't be able to make it out before I even found out that verdict. Yeah. Like God had provided me an opportunity to speak Mm -hmm. before I even knew it was going to happen the same day. And then he hears me speak and it's like, you're amazing. 
Yeah. And like, that's, wow. that's my life, yeah. you know, yeah. like time to go, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> time yeah. to go. So it was just already so planned and I couldn't, I couldn't even see that, but yeah, that's probably the toughest thing in my recovery for sure. Yeah. One of the toughest yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. So Ariel, you've been sober in a lot of different communities. What's it been like connecting to the recovery communities in each of those different places you've been? So I would say it's, you know, it's hard to move. It's hard to get sober. It's hard to do all of these things. When I first got sober, what was tough is that I was hanging around a lot of people that drank and partied like me. And so after you're like, oh, I'm sober, they don't necessarily want to hang out with you anymore because that's the way that we really were able to bond. And so there's definitely a time when I was isolated. But lucky for me, I had people, my friends back home that I could call. And I really wanted this. I really wanted to change my life. So I was willing to do what it took. And that for me meant, you know, really embedding myself into community, especially in New York, right off the bat and finding some awesome people, young people, older people that I could really vibe with who showed me that it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. And then each time I, I moved, regardless if it was harder, the, the community was a little different based off culture or whatever it was. I just kept fighting until I found those people that I know I needed to connect with. Because if I don't have substances to kind of, you know, escape from my experience, you know, that's like that's naturally how I'm kind of wired. Um, what I realized is the opposite of that is connection is my people. And so. I've been so grateful to have found amazing friends in all of those spaces. It's just, it just takes time, you know, it just takes time to build that community. But I, I don't want to go back to my old life. I just don't mm-hmm. want to do it. So I'm just kind of willing to do whatever it takes to, to build my own, my own tribe. So I've got to ask, when you would tell people that you used to like drink with or party with that you're not doing that anymore, like what was their reaction? Many of them were like, oh, that's so cool. Like they would say that. And then all of a sudden they're out of my life. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was like I just wasn't vibing at that frequency anymore. Mm-hmm. So I just watched them kind of evaporate out of my experience, which was hurtful because I thought maybe we had a deeper mm-hmm. relationship. But then I was like, no, we didn't. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, once I finally had those real connections and those real relationships, it was easy. And so then it was nice moving back home and connecting with old friends who I could see who I really had those connections with you know prior to that too so yeah it was tough it was definitely tough but it was just for the better because I don't think I would have been able to stay sober if they were in my life so Mm -hmm. I fully Mm -hmm. give myself permission to just snip snip away people Mm -hmm. that don't fit where I'm headed it's like I got to keep growing I got to keep moving forward oh it it reminds me of that one episode we did on toxic people where it's like You know, if you have a passion in life or you have something that you want to do or some kind of direction that you want to grow and there are people in your life that you think are connections that are kind of holding you back, it's like that snip, snip, snipping has to happen Mm -hmm. for you to like achieve I don't know, the life the life like you you want or the life I want. Stop carrying around dead weight. Stop carrying around you said that like Stop carrying around <laughs> dead weight. <laughs> that was for a fact, Amy. That was really good. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't at all. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so you're obviously really open about recovery and your sobriety and stuff. Like, what's that like? You know, because there is such a stigma about alcoholism and drugs and all of that. What's it like 
being so open about it and connecting to that part that's a little grittier, or, you know, like not as pretty or people, you know, what's that like? It's definitely not easy, but I could not imagine being in recovery any other way. Sometimes I think, you know, as I grow in my career too, the way in which I do it seems to be shifting just because life is getting bigger and there's more opportunities. And so I'm a little bit more protective in a sense. But for me, that's just who I am. I'm the type of person, you know, I believe that the reason part of my purpose and why I'm here is to do just that. So if I wasn't, you know, a safe space for people to kind of feel like they can talk about anything with, because, you know, one, I've been through pretty much everything I feel like. And if I haven't, I can definitely hold space. Then I'm just not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I'm miserable because then there's no purpose in my experience. And that just seems ridiculous for me. (laughs) Like, I hate that moment where you're going through something. You're like, why me, God? And it's just like, (laughs) but now I have this intuitive thought. It's like, you're going to help somebody one day. Mm. Like, this is going to help somebody else. Like, you don't need to worry about it. Like, you can do this. We've been through worse. Like, keep moving because, and then every time that's been revealed to me, it's like, oh, it's so powerful I was just reading about intuition over the weekend and it was all about how when we go through life we different experiences that we have make a imprint basically like in our what's that nerve the long one the vagal the polyvagal polyvagal I I think it's the 10th cranial nerve yeah, but anyway, there's this nerve where everything is imprinted. Right. No, it's so cool. The polyvagal but it's like, theory is what that the is. Polyvagal, uh, the, so they were saying the vagal... The vagus nerve. Yes. The vagus nerve. Yes. Yeah, we don't. So anyway, it goes from like mind all the way down to gut. And it was this whole thing about like gut feeling versus intuition. But anyway, the point that I'm trying to get to is that the experiences that we have throughout our entire life will make an imprint. And they only help with that quick instinct or any intuitive thoughts that we have as we grow older. Mm. Well, I just, this intuition thing, I'm like, that's where my head is right now. It's cool. But so, okay, I have some questions about your podcast and how life has gotten bigger for you and what has that looked like? Because it seems to me like with the, the platform of your podcast, you're really opening up a huge the award-winning like, award-winning podcast mm. excuse me and it, <laughs> but like that is such a platform to then have people find the safe place that you're providing so can you talk to us about like how did that come about or your ideas around it maybe like the nutshell version of what, what your is. podcast is about okay yeah so I'll, I'll try to go i'm going to start here over here Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was in Georgia and I was telling my story somewhere and this woman came up to me just crying and she was like, do you have a blog? Do you have mm. something that I can follow you? Because like I need to follow you, just your story and your experiences. And her name was Betsy. And I remember that moment and I was like, that was kind of, I mean, I've had opportunities, you know, White House or whatever, but that was kind of the first time where I was like, well, maybe I need to do something more. Wait, can I just say that you just said, 
White House or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I said it not it egotistically. Awesome. No, no, yeah. no, I love it. Betsy um, is more important than White yeah. House. Absolutely. <laughs> and awesome. so it was just kind of something that kept happening. And people were like, do you have a TED Talk? Do you have this? And I'm just like, no, I don't. And so I remember, you know, I was coming out of my apartment or heading into my apartment and then Beauty and the Grit just came mm. that that name came into my head and I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to call my book one day, even though like I don't write. I'm not a writer. I don't enjoy writing. I'm not a writer either. And I have a book. So it happens. Do you see what I'm, yeah, no. And I believe that, but it didn't yeah. sound fun at the time. Yeah. I'm just, I'm it's gonna not put, fun. Right. I'm going to put that on the shelf. Having a book is fun. Writing the book is not fun. <laughs> exactly. So I enjoy speaking. I enjoy using my voice. So when I moved out here, I don't really even listen to podcasts, to be honest. <laughs> but when I moved out here, it was like, I'm going to start a podcast. I don't know where this idea came from. It's going to be called Beauty in the Grid. This is what's going to happen. And the more I kind of was like, this is what's going to happen, the more people were like, so, hey, when are you going to do this podcast? I was like being held accountable <laughs> by people in my life. Anna <laughs> over here. <laughs> Beer is not an excuse. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yes. we did a little bit backstory. Yes. I talked to Ariel and of like fear is not a good enough reason to not do this to not right. put your voice out there <laughs> yeah but it just when something is just drilling in your yeah. head and what I wanted out of this was to help people be able to have access to hope through stories mm. like that is just I love a good story mm. I just just curl me up with someone just sharing something about themselves and I love it I and mean, I'm grateful that I have enough good stories too that people love for me to share as well and so I just it's like this is what it's going to be about just people you know especially you know being a person of color and being, you know, the access to treatment or access to recovery support services, all that stuff is real. You know, who is this for? And I didn't want to be a part of that conversation as much. Like, that's what I do in my work. You know, that's, you know, whether I'm, you know, speaking wherever, helping support the build out of this program and accessibility. I was like, well, I want people to have more access to hope. In the day, I want to talk to that one person who may have, you know, may not be able to talk to their parents or may be able to not know anybody that struggles with substance use or life or recovery from sexual assault or whatever you're going through. We all have stories. And so, but for me, it's important to not just sit in that yeah. and for people to be able to find the beauty in their experience, whether it's through the person sharing it or for those moments within those stories where the darkest parts of themselves like actually brought them to the most beautiful destination and we hear that like that's that's what I'm about and so this thing popped up in my email I'd gone to a house of pod little session for women of color and it seemed like a great opportunity for me to connect and then I didn't really think about that and then I was on their email list and they sat out this email about an incubator where you could learn and potentially win money towards your first season through Patreon and I was like ah think I'm going to do it, but yes. put that on the shelf. Not right now. And then Anna sent me a screenshot. Anna sent me a screenshot. And then other people were sending Ariel, it to me. you have to do this. Like, Did get you on see? this. You're like, yes, I've seen it. Uh, I was like, I was I've like, seen okay. this. I will apply. And then I did it. And then you I, won it. I won. Yeah. yeah. First prize. And then you were in 5280 Magazine. Indeed. Congrats on Thank that. Thank you. Congrats on all the success. Yeah. Thank you so much. It is done yeah. so well. So can you give our audience a little like sneak peek into, in case they haven't listened yet, maybe like your 
top favorite moments of a couple of your shows or a couple of your experiences that you've gone through because of the show? Yes. I'm joking. No, no. <laughs> yes, I can. I will forever be grateful. So this was a moment, too. So I met this young woman when I was working at the university I was developing programming at for students in recovery, and she's a bilateral amputee from the waist down. And I, I, you know, I'm working with her and I'm not, you know, in my mind, I'm like, what happened? You know, I want to ask that question, but I didn't, I didn't ask, you know, just was present with her. And then I asked her to tell me at the end of our meeting a little bit about her recovery. And when she was 109 days sober, and this was around the time that I had gone through that that assault. And so I was just done. I didn't want to show up to work at all. And I was like, please help me. And she shared her experience about being 109 days sober and having a cliff jumping accident. And through the course of her first three years of her recovery, she became a bilateral amputee just because it was the best thing for her. And so after she told me her story and she has faith and she stayed sober the entire time that going incredible. through this whole process. And and now she's, you know, married, has a baby and is just thriving. And I remember at the end of that, this was three years ago, I said, I'm going to help you share your story with the world one day. I'm going to do it. So to be able to reach out to her this past year, this summer and say, hey, I know I don't like I talk about you often. I think about you often. You saved my life at that time. Mm. You made me believe in something. Like, can I can I come fly down and, and share your story? She was like, absolutely. She's like, I really feel like this was the only reason why I was in Georgia. She was only there for a short amount of time. Mm. She tried to go back to take her the ACT and her phone went off in the middle of her ACT. And so they kicked her out. Oh. And so she was like, I'm moving back to Texas. And she was right. like, she really felt, she feels at that point, like the only reason why she was there was to meet me, to be able to do this. Because this is something that she's well, passionate it about too. Yeah. So it's massive. So that is episode two. And that is by far my my favorite. It's like, you really think you can't, what can't you do? Yeah. Because I can't imagine being, you know, in my early 20s going through that. And her, her words are, you know, the first three months of her sobriety were the best three months of her life. And she would do whatever it took to like get back there. And so she detoxed off any all mood or mind offering altering substances, all pain medication, just so that she could you know, fight back for that life that she had. So that's like, it's legendary. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's good enough. That's wow. really good. So listen to that one. I pretty much gave the whole thing away. But <laughs> So subscribe. Yes. Subscribe. Oh my goodness. Five star mm-hmm. reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Ariel, I recently heard you say <laughs> when we were talking at one point that you think we all have a light to share. And we had Kelsey and Brian on our first interview of this season. And I would love, since we're coming to the end of this season, to hear what you have to say about that. Like, do you think that we all have a light to share? Are some people just total duds? <laughs> just kidding. such an animal thing to say. But no, seriously, can you say a little bit more about the light we have in ourselves and... Absolutely. I think for sure. If you are a human being on this planet, you have a light. The tricky thing is, is that we're up against a lot in this experience for me, whether it's 
I don't know, things are just accelerating so quickly and, you know, social media, different platforms, all this this information coming at you, it's really hard to find who you are. As much as we have opportunity, we have a lot going on. And so for me in my journey, I've really found the power in like revealing the darkest parts of myself, which that's like the light is under there, mm. you know, and being willing to really you know, share that and to be vulnerable in that is not easy. Mm. It is not easy to choose to not betray yourself, to choose to like be your most authentic self despite what the world is expecting of you and how, you know, oftentimes now it's like, I want to be this person. Like, look (laughs) at me in my Instagram picture. And like, Mm -hmm. that's real. But like, where are you, you know, shining the darkest parts of yourself, which is your light, you know? And so I think for me, it's, I have a responsibility and I have a whole community of us, thankfully, where I I don't do this work alone, where I shine my light so that others will find their way. Like Mm -hmm. that is my my role, my job, because if I can do it, then I know someone else can do it. I just want to be able to be like, you know, fireflies in the sky where one Mm -hmm. does it. We all do it. Oh, my gosh. And we're lighting (laughs) up the sky because it's not easy. It's hard. And I don't. I don't think, you know, just because, you know, animals aren't chasing us (laughs) or, you know, we're in this space where we're provided for, you know, we're still having to be stuck in this experience of like, I need to figure this out. I'm responsible. I have to know these things. There's something wrong with me if I'm not happy all the time. And Mm. that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's just not true. And so just the light is in all of it. And so, yeah, I know plenty of duds, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I see myself in them. And that's the most uncomfortable part of it is that I see Mm. myself and I see that part of myself that I want to not bring to the light, you know, but I have a teacher and she said to me the other night, she said, you know, there's a person in my life that I just, you know, I would go to jail over them right now, (laughs) but that's not what it is. Because at the end of the day, if I sit down and I think about washing her feet and just being there for her, and like supporting her and like loving on her, that just feels so much better. But how often do we really think about that? The people that really cause us the most pain and cause us the most struggle. And that's not easy. That's not easy. But there's something so freeing in being able to, you know, have that perspective or have that narrative or have that understanding just to like wash my enemy's feet, you know, oh. like, oh man, you know, I have plenty of those in my mind, but it just brings me back to this idea of like, who do I want to be? I want to be one of those people. I want to be the light. So I amazing. get teary sometime in the episode. Damn, that's did it. That's the time. <laughs> that's it. I'm like, oh, I'm welling up over here. Yeah. 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 Oh, I so love good. that idea that the light is under the darkness and that it's like you have to identify you have to be able to see it or to face your ugliest parts in order to grow well in that yeah. that darkness has a purpose yeah, yeah. in a way exactly yeah. and it's crazy to me too because what i'm realizing i thought there would be like this eventual place where i just like be enlightened and i wouldn't have to do any <laughs> of this work somewhere oh hello like, Ariel. Really, welcome on. like <laughs> you're but, enlightened you're yeah. you know but every single time right. there's like a new door a new hallway yes. where i feel completely naked and completely mm. uncomfortable yet again but it's like okay but i felt safe enough to you know get 
there. Yeah. And I think for me, I felt safe enough finally to get sober and to exist without using substances, you know, yeah. then there's more levels to that. I feel mm-hmm. safe enough to like not be in toxic relationships. I yeah. feel safe enough, you know, to start a podcast. Yeah. Like, right. Sure. I feel safe enough to go through that fearful thing, but mm-hmm. there's just, it's like, so when you're really at that point of your darkest moments, it's like, I have to feel so grateful and get excited kind mm-hmm. of because mm-hmm. I feel safe enough to walk through this and to bring it to the light, which is really exciting. And the beautiful thing is like, you don't have to do it alone. Absolutely not. It's, yeah. I would highly suggest not doing that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like that, that yeah. rarely, if ever, has ended well for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's One it's, star on doing yeah. it alone. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> like we're just not meant. We're communal creatures. Yes. We yeah. are meant to yes. socialize and interact. And that's hard. But, you know, once you find just even just start with one yep. person, yep. one person and then watch it just bloom that's what i did i started off one person and now i have so many oh so good ariel thank you so 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 much for being here with us today and sharing your story and being a light for all of us and and helping us see the beauty in the grit. Yay! Yay. Thank you for having me. And before yes. we go, oh yeah, um, oh, here we I go. have a random question for Anna you. Anna does this to everyone. We cannot say anything <laughs> we, can't we, we can't know. Because we don't know the Good question. Good luck. That's all we can say. It's, an, it's, it's, not, it's not a bad one. Okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. It really? really? <laughs> That's shocking. Okay. Yeah, go. Mm. go. Okay, so Ariel, if you could hold on to one memory from your life forever, what would that be? That is impossible, Anna. <laughs> I have an easier one in my backpack. No, no, no. Wrong. I'm just going to give maybe one of the million. Yeah. The most recent. I like to run in City Park. And I think it was after I found out, I think I had gotten into the podcast incubator or something happened around that time. And I just remember running around the park and I just felt this like depth of gratitude Mm -hmm. that I had to stop running and get on my knees and just like put my hands out and be like yeah (laughs) you know because it just I feel like those moments you know sometimes we're just moving we're moving and we're shaking that you don't really get to feel that proud of yourself and for me that was just me with me with you know things that I can't even see and and my relationship with something bigger than myself that like it feels really good to just be able to to remember that feeling that I just felt so taken care of in that moment. And sometimes it doesn't have to do with anybody else, but I have plenty of those too. But that one just really sticks out to myself. Like, man, like I'm supposed to be here, Mm. you know, I'm supposed to be here. Mm. And we're so glad you are. (laughs) We're so glad you're here in Denver. And we're so glad that you're in our lives. And we're so glad that you're doing what you're doing. So keep it up. Yeah, you too, ladies. Yeah. This is fun. It is fun. <laughs> we could keep going and yeah, going and we going. Could. But we are close to the top of the hour here, if not a little over. <laughs> That's Amy's favorite. <laughs> top of the hour? <laughs> I think we're at the top of the hour here. That's okay. such a newscaster thing. <laughs> Amy, the newscaster. Well, <laughs> we're at the top of the hour. Okay, all right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Aaron's like, come on. Thank you, Ariel. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank, you. Yes. Yeah. thank you for sharing you. Thank yes. you so much. And we hope everyone subscribes to Beauty and the Grit. Available everywhere. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we talk 
about connection. That's what our deal is here. So we have a six-step roadmap for instant connection. You can get that at connectionroadmap.com. It will give you the hookup on what to do to get instantly connected with people in this world. Thanks for listening. You can find more about this episode and a way to connect to the community at lessalonepodcast.com. And if you like us, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave a review. It helps other people find us and could be just what they need.